Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I f***ing love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that Boston next. Big job there from Duffy and Fred Mears. Hurt now. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, is it great to be back with you. Monday, February 25, 2019. This is episode 192 of the Anik and Florian podcast. You go to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition in Brazil and a brawl breaks out, Ken Flo. You know I was watching when it all went down live. So that was pretty crazy. Did you see this dude gets injured at the end of the jiu-jitsu match? Presumably he lost. And then he goes firing off into the crowd Khabib style right after the fact. Complete ridiculousness. Um, yeah, so Herbert Santos, who's one of the top competitors, was taking on uh, who, who quite possibly is probably in the top three pound for pound, Felipe Pena, um, who's a part of Gracie Baja, trains with Humble Bahal. And, um, you know, he the, the match starts. They're going for a couple minutes. And Felipe Pena did a sweep. So he was in his guard. He ended up reversing um, Herbert Santos, got on top. And Herbert all of a sudden says that, you know, he hurt his knee in that exchange. Um, so he's down. Everyone's kind of wondering what the hell is going on. And the corner for Felipe Pena uh, is kind of uh, hassling or giving Herbert a, a tough time. Being like, oh, really, dude? Come on, man. Like, keep going. Don't make excuses. So his knee is supposedly hurt. He gets pissed off, runs at one of the corner men for Felipe Pena, and then all hell breaks loose. So, yeah, cr- cra- crazy stuff, dude. I thought this was the gentle art, you know, yeah. that brawls breaking out at Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitions. Uh, well, I did see Tiago Santos this weekend, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Prague show. Also, some major fight announcements between, well, from dating to the last time we were on the air in terms of UFC 236 coming together. And the uh, the interim championship police is going to be out. So if you don't yes. like interim titles, uh, maybe this isn't the show for you, at least today. Uh, Longo's coming up in 10 minutes. We missed him last week. He was in the air. So a lot to get to on Aljamain Sterling's big win over Jimmy Rivera, which was about a week or 10 days or so ago. Uh, and then UFC 235 coming up this weekend. We got eight predictions from Ken Flo coming up in the main event challenge but I want to start with Tiago Santos and again we talked a little bit last week about how the calendar matched up really well for Tiago Santos and Jan Bojovic if they could produce a win and ideally a finish given the fact that John Jones was fighting Anthony Smith seven days later we also talked on the show about just how good the body of work is for Tiago Santos on paper he had won seven of eight coming into this fight he finishes Jan Bojovic by TKO in round three And 
you know, best of luck surviving 15 or 25 minutes with this guy right now. You know, I know the bulk of his UFC career is at middleweight, right? But the results at light heavyweight have been phenomenal, so much so that if John Jones makes quick work of Anthony Smith, as the betting odds lend you to believe he could, as we said last week, Tiago Santos could be fighting for the belt by this summer. And I love this because remember that there was Anthony Johnson from a few years back uh, who was a guy who had tremendous firepower. He was not afraid uh, of getting in the pocket and throwing bombs. And a lot of people felt that that could potentially be a difficult style for John Jones to deal with. Um, I think Tiago Santos is that new Anthony Johnson, perhaps with even more firepower, just based on the fact that he throws more weapons at you. Um, he is absolutely fearless, uh, I, and, and now he's got a shot going backwards. I mean, that counter shot was just brilliant. The way he was going back against the pressure of, of Bohovich, um, caught him flush, um, thought the fight should have been uh, stopped a little bit earlier. I mean, I, I, there was uh, like over 20 hammer fists that uh, Santos throw, threw before the fight was stopped. But my goodness, that guy uh, is a scary individual. Uh, and I think you're right. That is a guy who can make things interesting at 205 pounds uh, against John Jones. This is a win that should resonate maybe more than it will, given the fact that all the talk has already fast forwarded now to UFC 235 and maybe the fact that Jan Blachowicz doesn't have the biggest name. But you said last week that Blachowicz was probably the more well-rounded fighter in this yes. matchup, a guy who came in with a lot of momentum in his own right, having won four in a row. You know, I don't know what the betting line would be for John Jones versus Tiago Santos or John Jones versus Jan Blachowicz relative to how inflated it is for this Anthony Smith fight. But I think the Santos matchup is intriguing. At 205 pounds. Daniel Cormier is still the number one ranked light heavyweight in the world, which seems a little bit weird given the fact that he sort of had to unceremoniously vacate the title. So perhaps DC still factors in this mix with John Jones if John Jones gets through Anthony Smith. But Santos was never a guy that that people talked about as having a championship future. Then he started to make a run at middleweight. I believe it was a loss to David Branch that sort of derailed that. But here he is at 205 pounds, one of the scariest guys on the roster. There are some questionable losses way back in the day on his UFC record. But Tiago Santos is all the rage right now. And, you know, given the Brazilian backdrop right now and guys like Marlon Marais, you know, Jose Aldo obviously has momentum, but you're still not sure how long he's going to be around. This is a guy that can headline in Brazil. This is a guy who has headlined for the UFC several times now. And I'm excited to see his future. I mean, do you think from a betting perspective, that if John Jones is minus 880 against Anthony Smith, who has the head-to-head loss against Tiago Santos, do you think Jones is like minus 650 against Santos? Or do you think that, at least on paper, you're talking about a hugely wide spread for Santos and Jones, potentially? No, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I, I think that uh, Santos would definitely be uh, right around, potentially at the 500 mark, you know, 500, 600 mark. But I, I definitely think it's a lot less than Anthony Smith. I think he's a way more dangerous fight uh, for John Jones than Anthony Smith is, uh, just based on the fact that I, I think he's faster than Anthony Smith. I think he's more athletic. The way that he moves, he moves much better. Um, you know, Anthony Smith can be a little bit too predictable at times. Um He's still dangerous, um, but I still think Santos hits way harder. I think he kicks harder. I think he's faster. Uh, so I agree with you that Santos, um, you know, would definitely wouldn't be so big of an underdog that uh, 
Anthony Smith is. Yeah, it's interesting, right? And again, not to spin it too far forward, but Tiago Santos now one knockout shy of Vitor Belfort's all-time UFC record with 12. Wow. I mean, it's wow. just insane the company that this guy is now keeping. And as I think some journalists sort of wrote about leading up to this main event against Jan Bohovic, he's such a mild-mannered guy, and his fighting style is anything but that it's sort of an interesting juxtaposition. Yes. But I do think you're right. In terms of power threats at 205 pounds, there was such an appetite for a fight between John Jones and Anthony Rumble Johnson uh, that was booked at least once, I think, UFC 187, and it didn't materialize, and, and DC ended up stepping in and choking out Rumble Johnson. That was the fight at light heavyweight for so many years. And in Tiago Santos... I now think we have a guy that that people are going to get excited about. Of course, Anthony Smith is at the core of this whole conversation because six days from now, he's going to fight for the UFC light heavyweight title. And if he wins, John Jones is probably going to be granted an immediate rematch. But Santos, as we mentioned, about a year and a month ago, has a head-to-head win over Anthony Lionheart-Smith. So he is going to be a most interested observer. He has said he's going to come to Las Vegas and see the title fight this weekend. Uh, A couple other things quickly on the Prague event. Piotr Jan, I thought, took another step forward against John Dodson. He was knocked down once in the fight, which is never ideal, of course, but 30 to 27 times three for him. Just another great statement about the current state of the UFC's Bantamweight division. And Stefan Struve gets a submission by arm triangle against Pezal Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Again, not the perfect fight. He was knocked down within five seconds. But big picture, when you look at the UFC heavyweight record books, Stefan Struve is all up in them took the gloves off, sort of insinuated this this might be the final fight. If so, you know, he leaves a legacy. You know, he's certainly accomplished a lot. I think he's a victim of expectations a little bit in terms of what he was able to accomplish and where he got relative to our expectations going in. Talk about a guy who had that main event win against Stipe that we called back in 2012, and we thought that maybe this was a guy that would really be a perennial heavyweight contender type. He wasn't that, uh, but this is certainly a nice way to go out for, for a nice guy if if the skyscraper chooses to do so. That's right. And and Stefan Struve is a very nice guy. He was in the UFC at a very young age. And I think because of the <clears throat> kind of physicality that he brought into the octagon, um, a lot of people were high on him. But the, the reality is, is that physicality and these physical gifts are not enough. You got to put in the work. Um, you know, I think the big knock on Stefan is that perhaps he didn't work as hard as some of his peers around him. Um, and maybe that's why he didn't fulfill his potential. So it's not like he wasn't able or capable uh, of doing it, um, but uh, still a, a solid career nonetheless. And for uh, Petra Jan, um, yeah, this guy is a, a tremendous talent. Uh, I think he can do a lot of things at 135 pounds. He continues to impress beating a guy like a John Dodson who has fought for the belt. Uh, at 125 pounds is very impressive. Uh, And uh, I think this is a guy that will challenge for the belt at some point at 135. All right, more on Prague later in the show. We'll also get to the UFC 236 interim championship announcements. Kelvin Gastelum versus Israel Adesanya. And for the interim lightweight title, Dustin Poirier and Max Holloway. More on that in a bit. Now, though, to Ray Long. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Well, this calls for a celebration, folks, not just because Ray Longo is back in the state of New York, but Al Jermaine Sterling defeats Jimmy Rivera by unanimous decision. And I know Jimmy Rivera is a nice guy and there's a lot of love on both sides, but level with me, Ray. I mean, this one, I'm not saying it was extra sweet, but this had to feel really good to have your guy go out and 
turn in such an efficient, not grappling performance, but striking performance, uh, and really dominate a, a top five guy in Jimmy Rivera? But first of all, you guys feel bad that you fucked me last weekend. <laughs> How did we fuck you? How did that happen? Me? What the hell is that? I'm I know. ready to talk about it. No, no, we got to do the show earlier. No, I'm only kidding. But uh, no, listen, <laughs> yeah. so, so, so I'm going to get to you in a minute, Ken Flo. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I know what that's about. Okay. Exactly. But uh, no, it feels good because Jimmy Rivera is a really good fighter. And uh, Al Jermaine rose to the occasion, and he really stuck to the game plan and just shut him down. Uh, and that was a, that was really nice to watch. And I thought he was uh, he turned in his best performance so far. So what makes it really good is that Jimmy's really good. Don Longo, Don Longo, please, I ask for your forgiveness. I'm sorry. Listen, I thought How did you, I, I thought Al Jermaine was gonna. I thought Al Jermaine was, I, I mean, I thought uh, Jimmy Rivera was going to stop the takedowns and kind of have that kind of, you know, try to try to hit some shots from the outside, disengage, stick and move, and not let Al Jermaine get into the fight. It was Al Jermaine who pressured him. He forced Jimmy Rivera to fight. He, he has that unorthodox style. I really was able to actually put Rivera on his back a couple times. Uh, man, I, I was blown away. I was surprised. I was happy for you. And uh, this is one of those th those matches, man, these predictions that I was I was happy to be wrong about. Um, how excited was Aljamain uh, to get the win, man? Well, no, it was big, big, big stuff. You know, uh, it just was a was a good night. Uh, again, I'm, it was kind of the first time. Uh, I mean, it's kind of, that's the way we wanted the fight to go. We wanted to, to go for the takedown if he got it excellent if not it was just going to be another thing that he could confuse him with mm. switching we did a lot of work in south floor so we wanted to just keep mixing it up to offset you know jimmy's got good hands and he's a good counter puncher but when you don't know what's coming it's hard to counter punch so yes uh that was it it kind of worked out really good because if aljo does get you on the floor his grappling is is really really he's really good on the floor so you know, we just wanted to put that thought in his head. If we got it, great. If not, use it to uh, open up your stand-up game. So, Aljo, after he wins, he usually ends up in Cabo. He's making his way back right now. But here's what he posted on social media, Ray, from Cabo. I told him I was going to read this to you today. I'm at the beach, and all I keep thinking about is one, two, weave, two, left body kick, southpaw, three, level change, hump the leg. This is all I do. All I know, it's just hard to relax knowing there's another, another battle waiting up the next hill. Hashtag lifestyle. Hashtag dream chaser. And this sort of, you know, resonated with me because I feel like for Aljamain, this is a win that it is certainly worth celebrating, right? But it also sets up a massive next fight. He's been going back and forth a little bit with Cody Garbrandt, who obviously has some business with Pedro Munoz this weekend. Um, but these are going to be championship-type fighters, championship-type conversations that Aljo is having. And and he really needed this Jimmy Rivera win to, to put himself in those discussions. Yeah, no, look, I'm glad uh, that was nice. And that's, uh, that's Aljo. He's always thinking he's a great instructor. And, like, when I can't make a fight, he's always my first guy to put him in the corner. He's, he's got a really good you – no, know, he's got a really, really good – first of all, he gives a shit – and look, more than more, more important than the win with Aljo, the, the weekend before, uh, you know, he was coaching the kid in the Nassau County uh, 
wrestling championship finals. You know what I mean? So that's who he is, man. I mean, that's that's pretty big. He's got the biggest fight of his life. And when I went to the counties, man, he was there coaching. And he loves giving back to the wrestling community. I think he really believes that it, it, it helped change his life, which I can honestly tell you it definitely did. And, uh, you know, where most guys would have probably said, listen, man, I got a big fight coming up. I got to concentrate, you know, uh, yada, yada, yada. But he was there front and center with his guy from uh, Baldwin, and uh, that was it, man. That, that, and I, I sent him a text after the fight. I go, look, at the end of the day, Aljo, that, that demonstration of character is going to be more important than any fight you fight. You know what I mean? And I think that's really what it comes down to for me is that he gives back, and it's not just about winning fights. It's about just evolving and becoming a better guy. And uh, Aljo's really grown on me, man. I really like the kid. Like, again, when I can't make it, He's the first guy I'm sending, and, you know, I tell that to the managers or some of the guys, you know, like Suzaki and all of those guys. I think yeah. he's he'll, he'll do his homework, and he'll put the time in, and it's it's good. So uh, it was he, he deserved to win that fight. He put the time in, and we we kept it. <clears throat> we, we just drilled over and over again the things we wanted to do in the fight, and he, he did it. So I'm happy as a coach, and he should be happy as a fighter, and, and Jimmy Rivera really is a nice guy. I know he's going to come back and, you know, beat the crap out of a lot of, a lot more guys. I'm sure he's going to make the adjustment, but I think he just got stymied by Aljo and he was confused. And before you know it, those three rounds are off. In MMA, sometimes you got to beat up nice guys. Am I right, Ray? Oh, what that always. I like to think I'm a nice guy. I got beat up sometimes, and that's what happens. It's a sport. <laughs> you are a nice <laughs> You're a nice guy until the time you pick against Aljo. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. See? I was, I, you could ask John. I was in a spaded shock when he told me that. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I, I thought he was going to outpoint him. I thought it was going to be one of those things where Jimmy danced well, around and kind of outpointed yeah. him. Nothing a lot happened, you know. Yeah, uh, you thought he, he was going to stick a move. Aljo's got eight inches on him. I know. It's like Joe Frazier sticking a move in on Ali. Yeah, that's true. I, All right. I was just trying to I'm motivate. happy for you. That's great. I, I was trying I, to motivate Longo by you, letting him know that Ken Flo is on the other side. That's yes. it. Yes. Yeah. And I got to say, you martial artists are all just such good sportsmen and so classy. Like, because I see Aljamain Sterling versus Jimmy Rivera as a legitimate grudge match. Neither guy was super nice to the other, all things considered, right? So when that fight's over, bury the hatchet. No, it's like I'd be like, yeah, bro, fuck you, man. I just dominated you. <laughs> you talked all that shit for five years. Boston strong, you know? I mean, so I guess you New Yorkers and martial artists just just a lot classier than me, Ray. But I'm I'm, I'm happy for you, man. No, no, those guys don't. No, those guys were going back and forth. But you know what it is? It's like it's it's outside of those two guys. Our camps know each other, and there's a lot of yeah. I, there's a lot of people I really love in this camp. Well, not love, but I like a lot of people in this camp, and so yeah. so does Matt. And I hope vice versa. But those guys were like over the last. You're right though. They were bickering over bullshit stuff too, though. I think I don't even. Yeah. You know, there were a couple of times at local shows it was actually funny. I don't even I didn't even understand it, but they were funny to watch interact for sure. Yeah. I you know, I think at one point Jimmy Rivera's wife got involved and 
it was a pretty I good that response. Was more, more, that was more the issue, I think. Yeah. Uh, she asked, you know, Jim Rivera told us his wife asked before getting involved. But anyway, it's a big win and a big fight is coming up next. A um, couple other things before we let you go. I don't know if you saw the show in Prague. I'd imagine you've at least seen the highlight or I guess for John Vellante, the low light. But Mikhail Oleksajuk hit him with a, a perfect body shot on the right side. And, and that was the end for Vellante. Did you see that? I did. I did watch that uh, on the computer. I, I, you know what happened? I had, uh, I had a kid fighting in Atlantic City Friday night, so I just got back in time to watch that. Uh, my head was a little banged up, but uh, yeah, look, uh, it's going to be a long airplane ride home for those guys. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, some of these guys, you can hit them in the head with a brick, but the body, man, that liver shot's just brutal. Yeah. That little delayed reaction, and, and down he went for good. That's kind of the way it happens. All right, we're going to update your finances and get a pick from you on Tyron Woodley and Kamara Usman before we go. But one other thing, and I'll let you sort of marinate on Woodley and Usman as I ask you this question. I just wanted yeah. your general thoughts on this whole lightweight title picture because, of course, Raging Ally Quinta figures to factor prominently in it. They've made an interim title fight. It's not going to be Tony Ferguson and Max Holloway. It is going to be Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier. Ferguson, with his 11-fight winning streak, felt like he should fight for the undisputed title. No argument from me there. But Iaquinta, yes. at times, was linked to a fight with Dustin Poirier. Um, any thoughts on how the UFC is choosing to proceed and, and where the chips may fall for your guy? Man, I got, well, first off, you know, uh, I'm happy for both of those guys. You know for sure, but I gotta tell you, man, I'm, I Al should have that fight. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I I'm yeah. pulling for Al all the way, and 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 I'm with you, Ferguson. I mean, somehow he's just getting royally screwed. It looks like because he is the guy. I think I said this from day one. I mean, like even when Al was, you know, after he beat uh, Kevin Lee, there is no question. First off, wasn't Ferguson the interim champ? I don't even. He was. He was. I can't even follow it anymore, but he's – why is he not taking that fight? Do we know? Well, I think there are a couple factors. His health might be one of them. But, no, I think to become a two-time UFC interim lightweight champion and to have a 12-fight winning streak at 155 pounds, having never been the undisputed champion, would just be bananas, right? Like, I, I'm not yeah, saying yeah, I agree I with his it. decision to hold out, no, but no, – no, no. Yeah, I agree with you on that. No, I agree with him on that. So I figured it was something like that. But if it's his fault, that's one thing. But I think it's kind of insulting. I really do. And yeah. uh, Tony Ferguson, in my eyes, uh, deserves to fight Khabib, and that's the only fight to make. Uh, but if that can't happen, Ferguson should be fighting for that lightweight belt, the legitimate lightweight belt. And I don't know. I mean, like, again, I'm happy for Dustin. I think he's done everything he had to do to get, you know, to get the fight. But uh, right. they, they got to come up with something better than this because I don't even think that's, you know, I don't even know if that's going to be a bigger, you know, as big of a draw as some of the other fights where Holloway could have been. And I'm happy for Max Holloway. He definitely deserves whatever he wants to do because he's proven himself time and time again. But, uh, man, I don't know. I mean, I'm disappointed that that's what the question was because, I'd love sure. to see Al fight either of those guys. I think Alan Holloway would be a fantastic fight, and I think Alan Poirier would be a good fight. 
you know, when they made this announcement, to me, it seemed like they were pointing towards potentially doing a rematch with Habib and Connor. If if Ferg, if they were offering a fight with Ferguson, um, you know, for the interim title against Max Holloway, because those are the rumors I was hearing, and now Poirier gets in there, does this mean that they're doing this because it's going to be a Habib Connor match? What what do you guys think about that? I don't know, but my, my advice to Al was going to be get ready to fight on that date because one of those right. guys could get injured and he could yeah. be right in there. And that, that's right. the way I think we're going to handle this. See, there's you the know? juice right there. No, that makes a ton of sense. And obviously it's not a big cut for Al. There are guys like, you know, Paul Felder and James Vick that they, they can't really get ready for a date like that. But absolutely you got the right approach. And one, he's getting one of those big names, you know, um, and hopefully it's the guy in the fight that you guys want. Uh, last thing before we let you go, and Kenny, we'll finish that on the other side. Yeah. Um, you made 50 bucks on the Aljamain Sterling win. Um, you picked <laughs> you picked Kane Velazquez to win, so I, unfortunately nothing there. Um, I'll tell you, you, I'm heartbroken. I'm heartbroken about the Kane Velazquez fight, too, man. Oh, he had so that many was tough. fans. From, that, that was tough. That was tough. Yeah. That really You're right. Was, and, uh, the, maybe the toughest yeah. thing about it, right, was with that Arizona backdrop that everybody was there for him, and 20-some-odd seconds later, it was over, you know? Yeah, yeah, crazy. I mean, when you talk about anything that happened in MMA, that that's a perfect example. I did not see that remotely going anywhere near that, but I want to believe his knee gave out and whatever. <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what happened. I mean, it's obviously a good stoppage, but I, I, right, I, right. what did he get hit with? An uppercut or a short? Yeah, it's like a short here. uppercut um, that threw him off balance. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, and Ganu caused it. And Ganu caused it. That's the thing. Yeah, without a doubt. But, yeah, yeah, but not, uh, it was, saying, it yeah. was it, uh, to me, it looked like it was Kane's knee that kind of gave out there. No, it just sucks because you know the guy's had his injury problems. And he did so much to get back there, right? Exactly, and it looked like it came back to rear its ugly head in a short, you know, real short span of time in the octagon. And he, I, I saw him before the fight; he just looked like he was in a good spot. Uh, him and Javier were having a great time, and yeah, it just sucks, man. Because you know, I deal with injuries all day long, and uh, I hate to see it go down like that. I really do. That that, that actually bothered me a little bit, you know. Yeah. But hopefully he's okay and. Uh, make the right decision for his future. Yeah, we haven't heard much in terms of any updates on that knee, but if you get bored today, Ray, listen back to episode 191 of the Anakin Florian podcast because Kenny and I disagreed on sort of the end of that fight and went back and forth a little bit last week, but we got to press forward. We're not having you pick... We're not having you pick John Jones and Anthony Smith because the bet, the betting line is so pronounced. Um, but Woodley and Usman's a little bit closer. Tyron Woodley's about a two to one favorite, minus one eighty. Kamaru Usman plus one fifty. So Woodley or Usman for you? And if you do pick Kamaru and he wins, you get twice the money because he's the underdog. What do you think about the welterweight title fight this weekend? Man, I like both guys. I I, I do want to see that fight and. Uh... I think Woodley just finds a way to win. He's in these he fights very smart. I don't have to take Woodley on that. Although I think it's going to be a good fight. I don't think it's going to end that quick. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Right? If they could, if they could be extended a little bit, right? If Kamaro could extend yeah. Tyron, I think it could get really interesting. 
Uh, and you got to think that's a big part of what Kamara is going to be trying to do. All right, man. Well, unless you got anything else, man, uh, we'll let you fly. Did you get a Did you get a win Friday night at that show or what? Oh, you got a win. Dennis Bazooka, shout out to him. He's an up-and-coming guy at 145. Uh, but I think you guys will be seeing him in the future. Very, very good kid. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was a, a great fight against another tough guy. And uh, I expect to see him on maybe the contenders shortly. Well, we hope we hope to see it, buddy. All right, thanks for the time. We'll talk to you uh, in less than a week. All right, take it easy, guys. Good to be back. Oh, yes, pleasure's sir. all on this side of the table. The Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So I want to get into this interim title situation uh, and, and each fight individually on its own merits, okay? Mm-hmm. So the UFC was trying to make the Tony Ferguson-Max Holloway fight, Kenny, but not necessarily um, as as a way to block Tony from that Khabib fight. Like, certainly okay. a Khabib Nurmagomedov-Conor McGregor rematch has a lot of legs, financial legs, and otherwise, right? But I do believe that Dana White, from a competition standpoint, very much wants to make the fight between Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson again, and has said as much publicly, right? I want your thoughts, at least in terms of Tony, from his standpoint, turning down this opportunity to fight Max Holloway for the interim UFC lightweight title. Because I I think the fight would have had some value for Tony because he was taking on the featherweight champion who was moving up, who's won 12 or 13 fights in a row, some fresh blood. You do get a chance to take one of those shiny new belts home, right? It's not nothing. I mean, like Dustin Poirier is certainly looking at this as a championship opportunity, even though it's not the undisputed title. Why do you think that, that Tony, I mean, he's got to know something or be expectant that he's going to get that undisputed championship opportunity because come April 13th, there's going to be an interim champion in this division. I would say this. If I'm in Tony's shoes, I would say, so you want me to fight for a belt that I already have? I have 11, 12 fights, uh, 12 wins in a row. I have done everything you guys have asked me. You guys have promised this title shot for the last four fights. I thought I was going to get it for the last four fights. I've been through injuries. I've been through hell. I already have the interim belt. You guys want me to fight for this thing again <laughs> so I can prove myself to fight Habib Nurmagomedov? Right. That's what you want me to do? You, really? <laughs> I, no, you know I what I'm saying? That, that's, what, that's what I would say. If I'm Tony, I'm like, what? Well, I don't know. I agree. Yeah. Like, I've yeah. been down on my knees begging the MMA gods to have Tony Ferguson fight for the undisputed belt his next time out. This was the first guy to get a double-digit winning streak at 155 pounds in the UFC, not Khabib Nurmagomedov, right? Mm -hmm. And you're right. Not only he won that interim belt, he was stripped of that interim belt. Then he returned against Anthony Showtime Pettis and finished him. So I can understand for Tony the hesitation in accepting this fight. And I would go even further and go, and you want me to fight a 145-pounder? Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, this guy hasn't. He, this guy doesn't have any fights at lightweight. And you want listen? I love that fight. I absolutely love that fight. So, I'm I'm conflicted. I'm also conflicted on this Poirier Holloway fight in a way. You know, like I, it. This is a tough, such a good fight. I would love to Holloway and Ferguson throw down. I think it'd be a classic. But I, I think for, for in Ferguson's perspective, he, he's just. Probably his mind is boggled. They're saying, well, what the hell do I have to do here? This is this is now bordering on disrespectful. You know, the fact that I've done everything. I'm on the you know, an amazing win streak here. 
and you're going to put me up against a, a guy who's never fought at 155 pounds so I could earn the right to get a fight that I already earned. Right. I think there was more to lose than gain for Tony here, yeah. right? I and mean, that's a obviously, tough one. Yeah. you could go through a tough fight, a tough weight cut, and then be sidelined and then not be in a position to fight Khabib Nurmagomedov. I know you can get yeah. injured in training as well, but there are a lot of layers to this. Now, as far as Dustin Poirier is concerned, it looked like for a while he was going to be the odd man out. He's tweeting at the UFC, you might as well just release me, right? And now, of course, Ally Quinta isn't going to be happy with this resolution. So someone's always going to be upset. You got Khabib tweeting right. that Tony has had his chances and been injured. But for Dustin Poirier, right, he's fighting for a piece of a UFC championship. And I feel good about that, right? I think he's worthy. I think because Max Holloway fought Dustin Poirier in his UFC debut when he was 20 years old, there's some history between these two, and that gives the fight some legs. I don't know that it will draw as well as a Holloway-Ferguson headline fight would. In fact, I, I feel like I can say with conviction that it won't draw as well. You know, my twin brother would be in Atlanta if Tony Ferguson was fighting anywhere on this card, and he's not coming to UFC 236. So there is that. Um, but I think Poirier, on the merits of what he's done, he's worked very hard, and, and I'm happy any time any fighter who has never ha had that chance before gets a chance to fight for some piece of a UFC title. I agree with everything you just said. Um, I, I think for Poirier... It's an amazing opportunity. This guy has worked his ass off and fought his ass off to, to put himself in this position. Um, you know, I, I think uh, in a lot of ways he feels like Ferguson does. And, and even Poirier hasn't accomplished what Ferguson has done uh, at 155 pounds. So uh, for Poirier, it, it, would, it would be awesome to see him w with any kind of belt around his waist based on what he's accomplished in that division and how hard he's worked to put himself uh, you know, in, in this position to, to fight a guy in Max Holloway who he's already beaten. Obviously, that was a very, a very long time ago. Uh, and, and for Holloway, um, you know, if there's one guy who deserves to get a title shot right off the bat, it is him. You, you look, I mean, at this point, I, I mean, he's cleared out the division at 145 pounds in a lot in, in a lot of ways. I mean, right. he's beaten all the top guys. Right. Um, I don't know if he would go back to 145 pounds. I'm curious to see what right. his plans are. Uh, we, we have talked about it, that we would l probably like to see him fight at 155 pounds. He is a gigantic 145-pounder. Um, I think he will be best suited for the lightweight uh, division. Uh, moving forward, I think he's pretty sick of making 145 pounds, literally. Um, so, you know, it, it's nice to see him fight another uh, awesome fighter in Poirier and I think that's going to be another classic fight as well. So I'm not a huge fan of the UFC just putting on interim fights, uh, interim title fights repeatedly. Um, I, I think the fans see through it. Right. But um, on its face, that is an unbelievable fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you make a lot of good points. I don't mind the interim titles as much. But again, I work for the promotion, so I don't think I come at it with the most objective set of eyes. I guess my issue with this one, is that so if Max Holloway wins, is he ubiquitously regarded as a two-division champion, even though right. one of the belts is an interim belt? And then, regardless of who it is, Holloway or Poirier, do they leap Tony Ferguson and go fight Khabib? Or do you have a situation not unlike Colby Covington, where he's sitting home with an interim championship and Kamara Usman's the guy who's fighting for the title? Like, I'm glad these problems don't cross my desk. <laughs> I'm happy to have a chance to talk about it, but... It's crazy to think that Holloway could win this fight and 
not get Khabib next and not be considered a two-division champion? Like, I don't know. You're giving me a damn headache thinking all right. about all those all possibilities. Right. No, you're, but you're right. I mean, it, it gets more confusing, and that's the problem with these kind of fights when you make it for an interim title is that it confuses the fans that much more. And I think that, you know— I know the UFC in the past has said, you know, listen, we don't want as many weight classes. We don't want to confuse fans. We want to keep it as simple as possible. Well, this isn't in line with that kind of thinking. This is only making things more convoluted and more difficult for fans to follow this sport. So in that regard, I disagree with the decision. But my goodness, what a fight. So, uh, again, I'm conflicted on this. So we'll see what happens, man. Uh, It's still a great fight. And for Holloway, um, it'd be cool to see him with, with two belts in two different divisions as well. So Yeah. And when, when we talk about Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya, you know, eventually these divisions have to move on, right? The lightweight title was last yes. contested in October. And because of Khabib's suspension, I can understand why the promotion wants to try to move the division forward. But to your point, you're not moving it forward if the interim champion isn't guaranteed a title fight. And, yes. of course, largely... Tony Ferguson's the reason why, because on paper he has a sick resume and he absolutely has to be next for the undisputed title. Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya. Okay, so we talked after the uh, – I'm laughing a little bit because it's just (laughs) crazy to think about the possibilities and maybe I shouldn't get into all the if-when scenarios, but when Robert Whitaker fell ill and Kelvin Gastelum's shot at the undisputed middleweight championship went away, I said on these airwaves, you never know if it's going to come around again. And – I give Kelvin Gastelum a lot of credit for stepping up and fighting Israel Adesanya. Again, he does have a chance to leave with one of those shiny new UFC belts. But if he doesn't beat Israel Adesanya, then thereby goes the undisputed middleweight championship opportunity. And therein lies the risk, right? You fight for the interim middleweight title. Obviously, if you beat Adesanya, it makes the Whitaker fight even bigger than it was before and makes beating Robert Whitaker that much sweeter in theory because you both have a belt over your shoulder. But... In this fight, there lies a lot of risk for Kelvin Gastelum, right? He's about a plus 180 underdog against Israel Adesanya. And after earning a shot at the undisputed middleweight title, I kind of feel for the guy that it's back to the the interim marbles for Kelvin Gastelum here April 13th. I would say this. Uh, on the grand scheme, yes, there is risk. He had that ability to fight Robert Whitaker. That is now gone. However, I disagree with you in the fact that it's a, almost a better opportunity because he matches up better style-wise against an Israel Adesanya than he does perhaps against a Robert Whitaker. Uh, when you look at Robert Whitaker and his performances against uh, the Olympian uh, freestyle wrestler uh, Yoel Romero and his ability to stop those takedowns and be effective against uh, an excellent striker as well in Yoel Romero, um, I, I thought that uh, Whitaker matched up pretty well against Gastelum. That would be a that that it would be a very difficult fight for Gastelum. Um, With Israel Adesanya, um, he doesn't have those same types of uh, of wrestling credentials and that, you know, maybe we haven't seen a dude who could really pressure him and and put him on his back like a Kelvin Gastelum. So because of that, um, you know, I think he matches up better against Israel Adesanya. However, for Gastelum, he has never faced a striker like Israel Adesanya. Nobody has. That, that's right. the kind of element that he brings in, that world-class striking. Uh, or when you come in with a world-class uh, jiu-jitsu background, I mean, it's hard to face the cream of the cream like that. And, and Israel Adesanya will be a danger for Gastelum on the feet anytime that they're trading, anytime that they're on the feet. Uh, I agree with you there. But, um, 
man, it, it, that that is going to be a very interesting fight. And what an opportunity for Adesanya, who has stayed very busy over the last couple of years. And you can't say that he doesn't deserve this spot either. For Robert right. Whitaker, he has some recovery to do. Um, it, it sounds awful and it sounds very painful what he had to deal with, but he has he has a recovery process. You don't want to go in there if you're not 100% uh, for, for a tough mixed martial arts fight. So uh, I wish him the best. Uh, I feel sorry for him in, in this equation. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, man, what an opportunity for Adesanya. And, and you can argue that he has less to lose uh, here in this fight. Right. No, I would agree with that. And Vegas agrees with you that the Adesanya matchup is more favorable, at least from a betting perspective, than mm -hmm. the fight against Robert Whitaker. And, and I would agree with you, too. I think Gasolum has more paths to victory against somebody like Israel Adesanya. Now, Adesanya also had some pause in accepting this fight. And I think initially balked at it because he feels like he's ready to fight for the undisputed mm. title. And then Paulo Costa's name was injected into the mix. It looks like he's going to fight Yoel Romero later that month down here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. But once I think the opportunity started to go away from Adesanya, then he was like, all right, I, you know, I better take this fight. But I think big picture for guys like Dustin Poirier, Israel Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum, who have no UFC championship gold at home interim or otherwise, they are fighting for the gold, right, on April 13th. And yeah. especially for a, a lifer like Dustin Poirier, I don't think he cares much that it's an interim belt. He feels like he's going to walk out there a UFC lightweight champion. So it's April 13th. It's UFC 236, and uh, I'm glad I have a ticket. All right, we're going to get to UFC 235, the picks in about 60 seconds. As many of you know, John Jones getting back in the octagon this Saturday, March 2nd, to defend his light heavyweight title against Anthony Lionheart-Smith. And whether you like John Jones or you don't, there's no doubt he has made a lot of money over the years for betters. 23-1, and one, the only loss coming by disqualification. And there's only one place to make all your UFC 235 bets, including a money line play on John Jones, and that's with my bookie. MMA lines have become a big area of focus for my bookie. They even let you bet on MMA props, which a lot of other sports books do not. How many rounds a given fight will last, whether or not it will end in a knockout, a submission, it's also a great place to wager on March Madness, the NBA, and the Masters coming up in April. And perhaps most importantly, MyBookie makes it easy to get paid when you win. They process payouts within 48 hours, plus their 24-7 customer service team is on hand any time of day or night that you need them to answer any questions that you may have. So visit MyBookie.ag, MyBookie.ag, and get in on the action before the big fight. Make sure to use promo code ANIC when you deposit for a 50% bonus. Again, that's promo code ANIC, A-N-I-K, for a 50% bonus on your deposit. At MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. MyBookie.ag. All right, speaking of getting paid, speaking of winning, Ken Flo has no fewer than eight UFC 235 picks coming your way right now, actually. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, so Team Anik led it 14-13 going into Prague. Ken Flo gets the win over West from West Virginia. 5-4. You both had Tiago Santos by knockout. The deciding pick, Mikhail Oleksejuk. West had John Volante, so we're tied at 18 going into UFC 235 and with us to make eight picks today. One of our podcast listeners, I think close to day one from upstate New York, Jeremy Engwer is with us. Jeremy, how are you, man? I'm doing great, John. Uh, happy to be here. 
Well, we're happy to have you. So upstate New York, whereabouts are you? Um, right outside of Albany, uh, Rotterdam's connected area. Okay. So does that make you like a Mets Islanders guy or who do, who do you root for? Um, my family's always been New York Giants and New York team fans. And I, uh, kind of went the opposite way and rooted for the Red Sox and, uh, Oh my God, Boston sports guy. (laughs) Oh my God, this guy. I mean, what are you doing next week? You want to be our main event challenge guest picker every week. We got a local to New York (laughs) who roots for the Red Sox. Yeah, I I do it every week. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because my daughter and I live down here in South Florida, my eldest daughter, Riley, who is seven. She used to sort of haze me and pretend she was a Miami Dolphins fan and be like, dad, you're from Boston. I'm from Florida. But now she's come around, and, and certainly I think all the teams winning has maybe helped. But I was wearing a Miami Hurricanes T-shirt, putting her to bed last night, and she's like, take that shirt off in my room. I was like, honey, it's not a Dolphins T-shirt. And she's like, oh, just making sure. So I got my daughter on my side. It scares me to think that, that my son could one day root for the New York Yankees. I, I don't know what I would do about that. But, Jeremy, we're happy to have you. Not going to waste any more time. First fight for us, 235 prelim. You can see this one. Live on ESPN at welterweight, Mickey Gall, minus 355. Diego Sanchez coming back at plus 285. Jeremy, what do you think? Mickey Gall or Diego Sanchez for you? Uh, went a little back and forth on this one, but I think uh, Mickey Gall has age on his side. He's got dangerous subs. Um, but at the same time, I think uh, Diego Sanchez has the experience. Um, Matt Brown and Iaquinta both knocked him out, but I don't think Gall's striking is uh, – gotten as good as it needs to be and I think Diego is gonna wrestle him and take him to the ground neutralize the submissions and kind of did uh do similar to what he did to Martine Held and Jim Miller and uh grand out of decision yeah I mean I don't hate the pick I think plus 285 represents tremendous value you're obviously getting extra points in our scoring system uh so Mickey Gall Kenny submitted George Sullivan the Kurt Pellegrino trained George Sullivan back in August that followed his first pro loss which had come against Randy Brown nine months prior, UFC 217. So most of our listeners know the story on Diego Sanchez made his UFC debut against Kenny Florian, April 9th, 2005. Diego's coming up on 15 years on this roster flow. It'll be his 29th UFC start, and he won the last one against Craig White, UFC 228, last September. Your thoughts on Diego Sanchez this weekend, kid? How did that debut go for him against Florian? I wonder. I wonder what happened there. Uh, Ken Flo yeah. was hurt. Kenny yeah, was hurt. Actually. That's right. That's right. I was hurt from his elbow that he <laughs> yeah. smashed my nose with. Um, yeah. Listen. Uh, you know, I don't love this fight, and I think there's a lot of money to be made here uh, potentially uh, with Diego Sanchez. Um, yes, he's older. Yes, he's fought a lot, and he's been through a lot of wars. Uh, I like the way he matches up against Mickey Gall. I think he's a better grappler than Gall. I think he's a better wrestler than Mickey Gall. I think that pressure style will eventually overwhelm uh, Mickey Gall. I don't think Mickey Gall is the kind of slick and dangerous striker yet um, that could pose a problem for Sanchez. So um, I'm going to go with Diego Sanchez, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a TKO win here. Jeremy, you got to feel pretty good to be aligned with the flow on that fight, especially given the odds. And I feel like a lot of our listeners are probably going right to mybookie.ag to hit that Diego Sanchez plus 285. We'll see. I uh, look forward to talking to both athletes uh, later in the week when I get to Vegas. All right. Also part of the ESPN prelim package, Jeremy, light heavyweight fight. Johnny Walker Blue, the minus 130 favorite, taking on Misha Sirkunov. Sirkunov, the slight underdog at plus 110. Walker stepping in to replace Ovin St. Preux on about two weeks' notice here. Jeremy, what do you think, Johnny Walker or Misha Sirkunov? 
Uh, this one's probably the simplest pick for me. Um, I, after watching Johnny Walker's last two fights, I'm completely buying into the Johnny Walker hype. Um, I, I think he's the most exciting lightweight or light heavyweight prospect uh, come around in a while. Uh, I truly think, you know, if he gets past this test and works his way up, he might be the most dangerous threat to John Jones and his title. And uh, I think he's going to add another scalp to the collection on this one. Uh, I think he's going to take uh, Misha Serkinov out. Add another scalp to the collection. I like it. I'm excited to see him fight live because I think there's there's a difference for me at least once I see a guy compete in person uh, in terms of how far I think they, they can go. But uh, in the wake of what Tiago Santos did, uh, Johnny Walker, certainly a name to keep an eye on. Ken Flo, 26 years old. He's won eight in a row, 16-3 and three as a pro. But, of course, perfect thus far in the octagon. Two first-round knockouts, both sub-two minutes, both earning a performance bonus. Serkunov on the other side, a lot of quick fights, Kenny. All seven of Serkunov's UFC fights have ended before the final horn. Submitted Pat Cummins his last time out that snapped a two-fight skid. Serkunov the slight dog or Johnny Walker the slight fave for you? Uh, this is a tricky one. I, I think on the feet, uh, Sirkunov could be in big trouble. Um, he's got to be careful with, his, with those knees, especially when he goes in there for the clinch. I don't think Johnny Walker is going to be good enough to fend off the submission game, however. And I think if Sirkinoff is able to hit a takedown, um, I think Sirkinoff will, will get the submission win here. Walker, dangerous on the feet, but I, I think he's going. that train's going to be derailed a little bit, and uh, Sirkinoff is, is going to get the win. Very competitive, stylistic type fight that uh, that is yes. close on paper, at least according to the odds makers. All right. Dominic Cruz believes his teammate Jeremy Stevens is going to shock the world this Saturday night. Ken Flo, Lil Heathen, the plus 180 underdog. He takes on Zabit Magomed Sharipov. This is the featured prelim on ESPN. Zabit minus 220. Ken Flo, we're going to go to you first on this. Jeremy Stevens, Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Who do you like? You know, I think Zabit has a lot of interesting weapons. Uh, he obviously has that reach and that height advantage, which could pose some problems for a Jeremy Stevens. However, I don't like the fact that Zabit stays in front of you. He's very linear in how he attacks and defends. And for that, I think it makes him susceptible to a veteran striker like a Jeremy Stevens who hits like a Mack truck. And I'm going to I'm going to agree with Dominic Cruz here. I think Jeremy Stevens gets the upset win here and derails the train of Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Uh, I like Jeremy in this one. See, Ken Flo is so convicted that I don't think any pick from a guest picker would talk you off of whichever way. <laughs> so, uh, Jeremy Magomed Sharipov, 16 and one. He's won his last 12 submitted Brandon Davis with that modified knee bar at UFC 228 in September. Third UFC submission in his first four UFC fights. Now, Stevens on the other side. He's defied the odds before. This will be his 30th UFC appearance on Saturday. He's 15 and 14 in the octagon. You think Zabit knocks him back to 500, or, or you like Stevens with the upset, Jer? Um, And this one, it's hard for me to uh, go against uh, fellow Jeremy, but I think, uh, <laughs> I think Zabit's getting a big step up in competition. Um, I do think Stevens, um, with his wrestling, he's going to be able to keep it standing, and his power is always going to be uh, dangerous. Um, but I think uh, Zabit, I think he's legit. He's been training uh, up with Mark Henry and Frankie Edgar and all of them in New Jersey, and I think uh, I think he's going to put it all together here and uh, probably beat Jeremy uh, in a hard-fought decision. 
Yeah, that's good analysis. When you talk to guys like Mark Henry about Frankie Edgar and they get all wide-eyed talking about Zabit, it's sort of easy, you know, as a fan or a commentator to sort of be all in. And then the performances have been what they've been as well. So uh, very excited at the very least to see that fight and see how it plays out live on ESPN this weekend. All right, now to pay-per-view the opener. Former UFC Bantamweight champ Cody Garbrandt fought once in 2017, once in 2018, Stopped by T.J. Dillashaw in both of those fights. So Cody Nola back here looking for his first win since 2016. He's the minus 170 favorite against Pedro Munoz, who comes back at plus 145. Jeremy Garbrandt or Munoz? Um, In this fight, I think uh, from what I was looking at, Munoz has only ever lost by decision. Uh, I think his pressure and boxing, he's definitely been falling in love with that. I think he does get hit a bit too much, and there is that chance that uh, Garbrandt's power could connect on something. But I think Pedro continues to work a lot on that stuff, uh, training out ATT, and I think he's uh, not afraid to put the pressure on uh, Garbrandt. We're going to see if Garbrandt, uh, if TJ Dillashaw broke him or not. Um, I think he's going to get caught and uh, get desperate and shoot, and Munoz will put that patented guillotine on him. So I got Munoz by uh, submission. Very interesting. There were some rumblings that there were a handful of possible opponents for Garbrandt and Munoz was the guy that he wanted. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but Kenny, what a big spot for Cody Garbrandt here at 27 years old against a guy who's just no picnic in Munoz, right? Every time I look at Pedro's body of work, I'm like, man, he's never been put away. He's won six of seven, only lost in there, split decision to John Dodson, fought three times in 2018. Last two were wins over Brett Johns, the first round stoppage of Brian Caraway. What do you think? Munoz Garbrandt. This is a tricky one, and I'm really curious to see how Cody Garbrandt approaches this fight. There's two Codys. There's the emotional Cody that fought TJ Dillashaw, and then there's the masterful Cody Garbrandt that fought Dominic Cruz. I want to see that one. I want to see the guy who makes you miss. I want to see the guy who's defensively responsible. I want to see the guy who takes the emotions out of the game and tries to outskill you and outwork you. I don't want to see the guy who wants to knock you out right from the get-go, puts himself in harm's way, and just throws down. Can that Cody Garbrandt beat a Pedro Munoz? Yes, but you put yourself at risk. Moon, you put yourself at risk to the same hooks and short shots that TJ Dillashaw uh, throws at you. And Munoz has some power. And Munoz has improved a great deal as a Yeah. I with his submission game as well. Uh, so it's not like Cody is safe on the ground either. Uh, but I, I have to think, I mean, I hope. I hope that Cody has looked at those fights and has looked at his performance against Dominic Cruz and said, that's how I need to fight. I need to adjust my training style. I need to adjust my fight style and and be that dude. Uh, because MMA is just too dangerous of a sport to just stand in the pocket and trade shots. And a lot of these fighters are doing that. Uh, and you can get a win for a little while, but you can't do that for a long term. So uh, I think Cody Garbrandt uh, does get the win and, and comes back in, uh, w- with a fantastic win. All right, Garbrandt, minus 170, the official pick for the flow. All right, women's strawweight fight here on pay-per-view. Weili Zhang, the minus 140 favorite. Tisha Torres coming back at plus 120. Zhang, 18-1. and one. She has won 18 in a row since dropping her pro debut. Doesn't have the strength of schedule, certainly, of a Tisha Torres, but she is 2-0 and in the UFC thus far, Jeremy. What do you think about Weili Zhang and the tiny tornado? 
I think it's a big step up for Weili Zong. Um, I think uh, her pressure um, could definitely win her the fight. Uh, she's a much bigger fighter, uh, and she's skilled everywhere. Um, I think the fight will probably play out similar to the uh, Danielle Taylor fight. Um, and Tisha will probably survive, but I just I haven't seen enough from Tisha lately to really put it all together. Um, and I think uh, Zhang will get it by uh, decision. Close fight on paper here, Kenny. Tisha Torres has fought everyone, right? Her win over Michelle Waterson was only 14 months ago, but hard not to think more about the recent efforts in 2018, losses to Jessica Andrade and then Ioana Jacek. Torres trying to avoid a third straight loss here, Ken Flo. How do you see it playing out? This is a tough one for me. I think Tisha has clearly fought tougher competition. She has way more experience at the higher levels. Um, and she's improved as a grappler as well, both with her, her offensive and defensive wrestling. Um, I think she's strong for the division as well. Zong, I feel like she is aggressive. She can finish you on the ground. She can finish you on the feet um, on an excellent win streak right now. Gosh, I don't know which way to go here. I'll 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 go with the I'll go with Zhang. I I think she'll probably get it done by decision. Sixteen finishes for Weili Zhang. Nine knockouts, seven submissions. On the other side, eight of Torres's nine UFC fights have gone the distance. All right, Ben Askren's UFC debut is Saturday night, folks. Long time coming. Eighteen and zero. He won two major titles outside the UFC. Defended those belts a combined seven times. As such, he is the prohibitive favorite here in his UFC debut. Minus 275 against the former UFC welterweight champion, Robbie Lawler. He can be had at about plus 225. Jeremy, what do you think about this one? Ben Askren, Robbie Lawler. This is definitely one of the toughest ones I've been going back and forth with on this card. Um, Definitely a big Robbie Lawler fan, but I also at the same time, I think he's somewhat past his prime. um, And he's also coming off that bad knee injury against RDA. Um, but at the same time, he's gone on skids in the past and come back even stronger. Um, uh, this one just it tears me because I, I feel like there's just not enough of Ben Askren against top, top tier, you know, competition like Robbie Lawler's faced in the UFC. But I think I'm going to have to go with Ben Askren on this one. I think he's going to put a wrestling clinic on uh, Robbie Lawler like he's never faced. For the second time in three weeks, we have one UFC fighter making their debut against a fighter who makes their 20th UFC appearance. Crone Gracie beat Alex Caceres, and now Ben Askren will try to beat Robbie Lawler. 20th UFC star for Lawler, first, though, since December of 2017. Similar layoff for both fighters. Askren's win over Shinya Aoki, I believe, November of 2017. Ken Flo, Lawler, Askren. Talk to me, kid. Who do you like? All right, so for Askren, you know, when I see him trade on the feet, when I see him move on the feet, I see a guy who just doesn't have very good footwork. It looks like he's very vulnerable to being knocked out. But time and time again, he goes out there, he grabs your leg, and he finishes every single time, gets on top of you, uh, and beats you up. Um, Askren, there's something about a guy who comes in with those kind of elite skills. You know, we were talking about with Crone or Israel Adesanya, and when they're able to force you into that realm, you are in big trouble. And, you know, if there's one guy who could pull it off, it's Robbie Lawler. And the fact that he's facing Askren in his UFC debut, um, I think is a good thing. I see Robbie Lawler either knocking out Askren in the first round early with a big shot and just putting him to sleep. Or I see Askren just uh, 
running Robbie Lawler through a wood chipper slowly, you know, inch by inch, just, you know, controlling him, taking him down repeatedly and beating him up on the ground. Um, we haven't seen Lawler in a little bit. I think that's good for him considering all the wars he's had over the years. Uh, but I got to go with Askren here. I, I think his wrestling is probably the real deal. And I think he's able to put Robbie Lawler on his back and get a decision win. Oh, I just can't wait to see it. You know, it seemed like the, the window had closed for good when Askren kind of semi-retired, but yes. here he is. And, and fittingly, in some respects, he's making his UFC debut alongside his teammate and longtime friend, Tyron Woodley, the UFC welterweight champion in the co-headliner here. He is the minus 180 favorite, Jeremy, against the number two ranked contender, Kamaru Usman. Usman about plus 150. Title fight here, so we will need the round and the method of victory. Jeremy, who leaves Vegas, the UFC welterweight champ? Uh, this one's another tough one. I have definitely bounced back and forth on, but... Uh... You know, it, it interests me to see what kind of Tyron Woodley comes out. If it's the aggressive Woodley, um, like he was against Till, or if it's the Woodley that kind of sits back, uh, like against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Um, I think, you know, if he comes out aggressive, this could be a quick uh, quick fight. You could definitely knock Kamaro out. Um, at the same time, if he's not as aggressive, I could definitely see Kamaro put him on the back foot and do what he's done to a lot of his opponents. Um, he keeps the pressure up. And even if he doesn't get the takedowns, he uses those takedowns in his clinch position, pushes you up against the fence, wears on you. Um, he's just got relentless pressure. His striking is coming around, uh, training down there in Florida with Henry Hoof. And I, I think ultimately, I think Kamara's going to wear him down uh, over a grueling five-round uh, fight. And I think we're going to have a new uh, welterweight champion in Kamara Usman. How about that? Usman by decision. The pick-to-click for Jeremy Angler. All right, Ken Flo, so Woodley's last defense against Darren Till, September of last year, fourth successful defense, and for me, the most impressive of the bunch, his first finish as a champion, um, but here he goes, draws a, a guy in Kamaru Usman who's 9-0 and in the UFC, coming off back-to-back five-round wins over Damian Maia and Rafael Dos Anjos to set up this title fight. I know you don't usually pick against your friends, Flo, um, and I don't expect you to do so here, but what kind of chance do you give Kamaru Usman to, to spring the upset? Listen, I think Usman uh, has had a very impressive UFC career. Um, you look at his consistency, his ability to play it safe uh, and not take a lot of damage um, and utilize his strengths as a fighter has been uh, just remarkable. And, and I think, you know, if Damian Maya can pose a little bit of problems or at least frustrate Tyron Woodley, uh, you got to think Kamaru Usman with his wrestling uh, could do it much, much more and be a little bit more of a threat than, than certainly Damian Maya was. So, uh, you know, I, I do think though that Tyron Woodley has had a lot of experience against guys who try to smother him, other wrestlers and having all that experience and as a wrestler and as a striker now, um, I just think he's just way too fast and way too powerful on the feet. Um, I'm a huge fan of Kamaru Usman, but I think this is a very dangerous fight. Uh, for him, I, I see Tyron Woodley landing a big shot with his right hand and finishing this fight uh, in and around the second round. Tyron Woodley, round two TKO for Ken Flo. You guys are getting me so excited for this weekend. If I was a, if I was not working right, killing all that clock before UFC 235 on pay-per-view when you're up at 6 a.m. with children, right? And you think, man, I got to kill 16 hours before the pay-per-view. Thankfully, right. when I'm working, I'm not thinking about killing the clock like that. But I 
I cannot possibly tell you how excited I am. Such for a great Askren card. And for this co-headliner. And, of course, the main event, Jeremy, UFC Light Heavyweight Championship. John Jones, as you would expect, a massive betting favorite. Minus 880, Anthony Lionheart-Smith, the plus 630 underdog. In our scoring system, a win by Anthony Smith would yield you an extra seven points. The question is, Jeremy, can he do it? Your thoughts on Smith and Jones in the main event. Uh, this one's a great fight. and this, I mean, this whole card is just stacked from top to bottom. I really hope now that we're in the... Uh, the pre, you know, pre-week before here, and everything leading up that everything uh, holds together uh, till <laughs> Saturday, because uh, it's just an amazing card. But this one, I've definitely bounced back and forth, where my brain tells me one thing and my heart tells me another thing. That, you know, a- Anthony Smith is—he's tough, he's gritty, um, he's definitely durable. Um, but then I go back and I watch, you know, even though he won against Volkanovsdemir, it scares me that, you know, he started to kind of gas out a bit in that third round. And um, Jones is just, uh, I mean, there's a reason he's the, he's considered probably the pound for pound greatest. Um, you know, the game plans he comes in there with, he's methodical uh, and picking you apart. And I mean, I think Smith definitely has a chance if he comes out there, if he puts, you know, Johns on his back foot and gets aggressive with them and he could definitely put him away. He's got power in both hands, elbows, that clinch he's got is ferocious. Um, But at the same time, Jones has probably got one of the most dangerous clinch games uh, in all of the UFC. Um, With this one, uh, I bounce back and forth because part of me is like, maybe Smith could pull it off. But I think in the end, uh, Jones is going to, you know, come out on top and, uh, continue to prove why he's probably the best fighter we've ever seen. I uh, got John Jones by uh, round three TKO. John Jones by round three TKO. Great job with the picks, Jeremy, and spoken like a true MMA fan, a true UFC fan, just hoping that the card stays together. See, like I feel like once I get to Monday of fight week, I, I feel falsely like we're good, right? Like as long as Woodley and Usman have gotten to this point, we're okay. But uh, let's hope it stays together, Jeremy, and, and thanks for coming on, my man. No, thank you, guys. It's an absolute pleasure to be on with both of you. Um, I appreciate it. All right, Jeremy Eng, we're making picks for Team Anik today. Could you imagine if if your son or your daughter ends up rooting for the for the arch rivals? I mean, if, <laughs> if my son came home, like a UFC fan came up to me in Phoenix or in Melbourne with a Yankees hat on and said, hey, can I take a picture? And, you know, when I say, you know, I'll make an exception and take a picture with a guy at a Yankees hat this once, like <laughs> my inner monologue is like, no, I don't want to take a picture with you wearing that hat. Like if my son came home with the Yankees hat, he would need a new roof under which to live. Honestly, it sounds absolutely insane to, to someone like Joe Rogan, right? For me to say that, but that is the God's honest truth. Do not bring a, my blood, bring a Yankees hat or memorabilia under my roof. There's just no way. Knowing how big of a sports fan you are and knowing you for as long as I have, I have, uh, I know that's 100 percent true. I know that's 100 percent true. I'm married into a New York Giants, New York Mets family. And at one point, my brother-in-law put like a New York Giants scarf around my daughter because I was (laughs) I was working and they were all up and that did not go over well. You know, you can call me immature. That did not go over well. Um, All right. Anthony Smith and John Jones. So. You've heard me say this a million times, Kenny. Anthony Smith from 17 and 11 as a pro through 28 fights. He is now 31 and 13. Great career resurrection, if you want to call it that. 45th pro fight here. He's coming off a 2018 that was huge. It wasn't perfect, 
lost to Tiago Santos, but then three straight finishes to close out the year. Rashad Evans, Shogun Hua, Volkan Uzdemir. You may recall John Jones after Anthony Smith beat Volkan Uzdemir. Jones was kind of denigrating the performance a little bit. Like, he thought it was okay, but nothing special. And now this is the guy that John Jones will be facing. Your thoughts, I guess, on on what type of chance you give Anthony Smith. I mean, I feel like his head coach, Mark Montoya, might be an X factor here because I think that's a really calming influence in the corner uh, if they can get to the stool, you know, which is no guarantee. Um, but how competitive do you, do you expect this fight to be and ultimately on which side do you fall? I have a lot of admiration for Anthony Smith. Um, just the fact that he had to battle back just to get back into the UFC like he has and, you know, seeing his current win streak and, and how he has gone about it uh, is extremely impressive. And I, I think he does have a lot of power that John Jones has to be careful with. But when it comes to the 205-pound division, it's very simple. There's Daniel Cormier, there's John Jones, and then there's everybody else. Uh, and Anthony Smith has beaten some tough guys, but no one even close to the level and the kind of skills that John Jones brings into the octagon. I don't see Anthony Smith really sh showing anything to, to John Jones that he hasn't seen before. I think the one thing he has going for him is that his, he does have an interesting rhythm. It, it's kind of an offbeat rhythm that can throw you off a little bit. He has an unorthodox style. So the way that he throws punches, the, the timing of it can be hard to read. But I think John Jones has developed uh, at an amazing rate, uh, both offensively and defensively. And I don't think there's a lot of guys that can mix it up and throw the kind of combinations uh, and combine that with a an octagon intelligence that John Jones has. There's just It's just extremely rare. John Jones knows exactly how he needs to beat you, and that's because of the, his own intelligence that he brings out into the octagon and also the excellent coaching that he brings into the octagon. I see John Jones winning this in round one. I see him confusing Anthony Smith. I see him beating, up, beating him up to the body, taking the fight to the ground either by a knockdown or a takedown, and finishing off Anthony Smith in round one by TKO. All right, round one TKO for John Jones. And no, I think you bring up a lot of good points. And I, I'm the fan in me oftentimes will say, hey, man, just get over aggressive and just take some risks and try to change the complexion of the fight early. You know, not go Katzingano style or Derek Brunson against Robert Whitaker and charge John necessarily. But, you know, don't let him even get comfortable by doing his whole alligator spider thing on the ground at the beginning of the fight. Right. Do something crazy right out of the chute. Uh, well, listen, I, I agree with you in the fact that you can't fight John Jones with a technical fight, now, and, yeah. and especially a guy like Anthony Smith. And, you know, no offense to Anthony Smith, he's not the most technical fighter, but that's not what brought him to the dance. Um, he he gets grimy, he makes it a brawl, and that's how he wins his fights. So I, I agree with you there. I, I don't think you want to fight a, a technical dance with a John Jones. He's just going to pick you apart. Yeah, no, exactly. And. We'll see how it goes. You know, not unlike Rose Namajunas against Ioana Jacek for Anthony Smith, he knows he's probably going to have to beat John Jones twice, but you only need to beat him once to change your life forever. So if Anthony Smith yep. can, can, can beat this man, uh, he will effectively change his life forever. And we'll see if he can do it. UFC 235, five days away. I'll be working the fight with Joe Rogan, and I think it's Dominic Cruz. I can tell you, first start of 2019 for Joe Rogan. So we're excited to have him back after UFC 233 went away. 
Thanks to Ray Longo, TJ DeSantis. Thanks to you for producing this fine program. Thanks to mybookie.ag, mayrockybjj.com. Thanks to all of you for listening as well. We really do appreciate that on a weekly basis. That's what keeps us going. With that, for Ken Flom, John Anik, we will be back next Monday. Full recap of UFC 235. We'll also look ahead to UFC Fight Night. Dos Santos versus Lewis coming up March 9th from Wichita, Kansas on ESPN+. Until then, have a great week. Enjoy the fights, folks. Yolit. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.